listening to The Home Recording Show, hosted by Ryan Canestro and John Tidy. Find us online at homerecordingshow.com. Welcome back with us today, John Tidy at epicsounds.ca, reaperblog.net, and audiogeekzine.com. Hey guys. And I'm Ryan Canestro at ditchroadrecords.com. You can find us on Twitter, John at The Audio Geek, and me at Ryan Canestro. Emails are John or Ryan at homerecordingshow.com. If you're shopping on Amazon, please click through our link. They'll break off a piece and send it our way. Click on our tip jar for one-time or reoccurring monthly donations. The Archives tab is near the top of our page. Check out every show we've done. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash homerecordingshow. If you listen on iTunes, please write us a review while you're there. So what do you have for us, John? Well, today I have an interview with Fluff, also known as Ryan Bruce. Uh, he's a YouTube guitar demo guy. Really cool. It's just an interview, so I think we're going to skip discussion this week and catch up on anything interesting in the next Ask HRS. Let's get it on. Hey, guys. Today I'm talking to Ryan Bruce. He's a musician and a YouTube guitar gear demo guy. You can find him at blackmetalbicycles.com. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash fluff191. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Huge fan. So Thanks for having me, man. You are a YouTube celebrity. Almost, <laughs> Am I? Right? <laughs> <laughs> With all the subscribers and, and nearly 2 million views on your uh, YouTube videos, are you feeling like a internet famous or YouTube famous yet? No, no, not really. Um, I think the nature of my stuff is more of like... I always think of it as kind of like an educational thing because when I started out, it was more of a, you know, will someone please, for the love of God, tell me how to reamp or, you know, what the hell is a DI? Like that kind of stuff you can you can kind of Google at the time. Um, but there was all these little little things that uh, I could just never find the answer for. Um, how, to, how to phase two mics. Couldn't find anything about that at the time. And... Uh, so I think because of the educational nature or what I try to come across as the educational nature, it seems less, less self-serving, I guess, because um, most of the popular YouTube channels are like, hey, look at me shred and look how, you know, yeah, look how a fan in front of my hair looks. Um, <laughs> I'm just yeah, not into that stuff. That's one of the things that uh, I like about your channel and your guitar demo videos. You're not a shredder. And uh, as much as I like like guys like Ola England, mm -hmm. uh you do your own thing and you're not like a you know speed metal shredder guy and you're not genty and all that <laughs> <laughs> you know it, it's it's a little more accessible it's it's less extreme but still heavy thank you and you just do really good demos thanks man um yeah. i always feel like that's always because i'm older than most of these other guys me and Ola and Amaro are pretty much the same age but um with the other guys like if you just go on random you know, the periphery fans and all that, you know, I got 15 years on them easily. I'm almost 34. And so I come from a, I was a grunge kid and, you know, I live in Seattle and um, I was a grunge kid growing up and you know, all my favorite bands, you know, were just Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. And I always wanted to be Jerry Cantrell when I was a kid um, because I always thought he was the perfect balance between legitimate songwriting and flashiness and, you know, a groove and technique. Yeah. There's always the song it, that was most important. Cool. And I could never shred or anything, so... You know, that I, never I, interested I, I'm kind me. of, I'm kind of, uh, you know, attracted to just, you know, the cool riffs yeah. and a good song. It's, uh, 
the head bob factor is what I always call it. Like, it's just like, does it make you just uh, groove out? And that's what I always like, you know, Pantera and stuff like that. I think that that was a, yeah. that was a good balance of uh, shred and groove. Yeah. The solos in, in Pantera songs didn't really take away from the song. and They didn't go on for several minutes. Right, yeah. They, he wasn't uh, trying to be rising force. <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand, something like Dream Theater I cannot listen to because it's all just masturbation <laughs> dude um <laughs> my, my buddy jason that does the gear addicts um he is a massive petrucci fanboy. um he's a few years older than me and he is you know anything dream theater is the greatest thing ever and uh <laughs> me and him go around and round about that because um i i dig dream theater's music i get it i really like it i can't get past the vocals and i don't know why everyone thinks john petrucci is like the greatest ever and uh, you know, he's obviously very, very talented, and I respect the guy immensely. It's just not my thing, but uh, um, it's only recently where we've been able to come together on the Dream Theory opinion because we both agree that the new Petrucci model is completely ugly. Okay. <laughs> that guitar, I don't know if you've seen it or not. I haven't seen that one yet. It's horrible. Going back to one of the first things you said in this in this episode, uh, you said you couldn't find things on reamping, um, how to align... Um, mics on a cabinet, all that stuff. That's all in our podcast. And if you listen to our podcast back in 2008 when we came out, you would have had all this knowledge. Ah, see? <laughs> yeah. It's impossible to reach everyone. It is. Your, with your message. It is. That's funny. I've only been doing this four years. Four years ago, I was trying to plug my guitar into my the family computer and going, why doesn't this sound right? <laughs> so. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I started. <laughs> and uh you know had some bad experiences recording my own band and then the band broke up and then I didn't know what to do I was working two horrible minimum wage jobs and I ended up getting a a call from a recording school wow and so <laughs> yeah I must have gone on their mailing list or something but they gave me a call and I was accepted immediately and and then moved away and went there for a year so where where uh, where was that at I moved to the Toronto area. Oh, okay. and uh, and I went to a school called Metalworks Institute. Oh, wow! You went to Metalworks. You've heard of it? Yeah, I know the studio. Um, it's that's a, I'm assuming that's the same. Yeah, yeah, it's part of the studio facility. Yeah, I love Metalworks. Um, I'm good friends with the Cancer Bats, and uh, okay. Scott Milton is a good friend of mine, and uh, they record all their albums there. And I've always wanted to go up there and see that place. So it looks awesome. It's actually a little disappointing in person. Really? I, I interned there for a few months, and it's, like, if you're not there, like, and in awe of all the gear and stuff, you start to realize, like, how dusty it is. You know, when you pull up the couch cushions and you sweep away all the mouse shit, it's it kind of loses its uh, appeal yeah. a little bit. Sounds like Sound City. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, you know, it, it's it's kind of like that age, right? I, I so, didn't realize. Like, all the decorating is, is like, you know, it, it's never changed and all that kind of stuff. They've got some good gear and um, and good records come out of there for sure. But it's it's an old studio. Oh, I didn't realize. And, yeah, there's some great records that came out of there, like um, Alexis on Fire. You know them? Uh, they they recorded there. Yeah, they did. Uh, I'm pretty sure they did some of the stuff there. Uh, Protest the Hero. Oh wow. Um, yeah, I think Alexis on Fire did. Uh, I think they did Crisis there. Oh wow! Or at least part of it, yeah. And and that's the album that got me into them. Oh, okay, great. Band. Right. Seems like we're a little bit off topic. Yeah, so that's okay. Let's 
keep it on on topic of music and talking about your music. So recently, you released your Fire Breather EP.、Uh, you got a good story about that, I'm sure. Yeah, the、uh, I've known Nick Nick Pierce,、um, who's now plays drums for Unearth. Me and him have been close friends for many many years, and he's actually another.、Uh, He's a YouTube guy, and when I met him, we worked together at an office job,、uh, starting back in like 2007, long before he was in Unearth or anything like that. And、uh, he used to post these covers of、uh, Unearth songs. And one day, he gets a phone call from Buzz McGrath from Unearth saying, "Hey, man, you want to come tour with us? <laughs> we need a drummer." And so off he went. So now, just because he's still friends with mine, I got to say, you know, oh yeah, my, you know, Nick, Nick from Unearth is going to play on my record, and I,、uh, I basically mean him. Took some of the my my favorite YouTube songs that are typically very short, and we、uh, we we rework them. And、um, I was able to get、uh, free studio time from my friend Mark at、uh, Fastback Studios, who、uh, that's the studio side of Fastback Custom, which puts out pickups and stuff like that. And they put out my signature pickups, and、um, it all just kind of came together. And I had the studio time booked. I paid Nick to go in and just crank out a couple of tunes in one day, and then. That was pretty much it. It was it was a lot of fun. I've never done the live drum thing、um, that extensively before, and it turned out really good. Sweet. That's an album that you actually recorded what, three times, three separate times, basically starting from scratch, right? Yeah, I basically well, I had the drum tracks, and those never really changed.、Um, but I basically I tracked and I quad tracked all the rhythms, and、um, I had quote unquote finished it or what I thought was finished three whole times.、Um, And then every time I would scrap everything and start over because I thought I could do better, and、uh, it was not sounding how I wanted it to sound. It sounded flat and kind of dull. I don't know. I guess I was having some kind of phasing issues with the quad tracking, which you know you're gonna have eventually. Because I had I had a dual mic setup, so I was I had a total of、um, was that eight guitar tracks just for rhythms, and so you know you're gonna、yeah. get a little bit of it gets messy a little bit. I was just having a lot of problems, and I couldn't find the right tone. I just, I don't know, second guessing myself. And and when you have time to say, I was waiting for Brandon,、um, the vocalist, so I'd have all this time to just sit there and just pour over everything over and over again. So every time I'd start over, I was just like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm doing this, and I would just do it. And it did get better every time. It did, yeah. I think there's some demos on the deluxe version that you can get off the website, and、uh, some of the demo versions just. Terrible, <laughs> <laughs> but they sound good to you at the time, and it's it's only when you A B compare like to something that's yeah something that you you love that you realize it's not the same quality. Yeah, I think that was it was really important to have、um, reference tracks for stuff that you know how it sounds you're familiar with. You know, for me it was、uh, like the Foo Fighters "Color and the Shape" record, and you know, if something newer was like a. Um, a Demon Hunter record or something like that—something that I was really, really familiar with—and I know how it sounds across. You know, I know how it sounds in the car, I know how it sounds through my laptop, and I would just compare it with that and just go, "Man, <laughs> this sucks." <laughs> But、uh, good for you to keep going with it, not just giving up or releasing something that's not the best you can do. Yeah, it's. I knew there was, you know, for for my first venture of the live drum things, I was just I was really determined. My、uh, my buddy Aaron Smith, who uh, runs Envisage、um, Audio, he does、uh, he did the last、uh, Jeff Loomis record.、Um, he was invaluable. I, he would bless his heart. He would he would take my calls at the crack early of of the morning if I had some stupid, 
hey man, I'm really trying to get this to cut. You know, do you have any tips? Can you listen to this real quick? And uh, he was so patient in helping and uh, I couldn't have done it without him. You're mentioning a lot of people that I have seen on the Andy Sneap forum. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you on there? I don't think I am. I think I've signed up. I don't think I've ever posted there because I'm, I'm too shy and it's, it's kind of the forum thing is that forum is huge. Now I should, I should start posting there more often because I kind of left rig talk. Your videos would definitely be well received there. Uh, all the, the gear demos and stuff. They'd really like that. There's a lot of people on there that, uh, I went on that forum right when I started my blog and a lot of those guys, they've gone on to do some pretty great things like Ola, like Ola was just you yeah. know, playing in his, his guitar in his bedroom and I remember he, he'd get kicked out of the seven string forums and stuff like that. And there'd be funny threads about that. And, and now you know, he played for, he played in Cannibal Corpse, is that right? Uh, six feet yeah. under. Six feet under, yeah. He, so he went on tour with them and I mean, yeah, he was just like a, a bedroom guitarist when yeah. he started out. And that's where this can go, which is a crazy thought. Not that I really have, you know, not that I'm in any rush to, uh, to leave my family for months on end. I don't know. He's a bigger man than I, because uh, that would be really tough, the touring thing. Yeah. So so let's talk about, like, sponsorships and stuff like that. Like, uh, start with the pickups. You you have your own custom signature series pickup. I do. Um, I have the Beard Combers, and Mark Naren runs uh, Fastback Studios, and at that time, they were doing an amp line, and that has since fallen through, and they don't really do amps, but they make uh, kind of one-off guitars every once in a while. And he kind of wanted to get into something more regular. And uh, he was a huge fan of the videos. And <clears throat> he basically one day said, is there anything you would like to do? And I said, I don't know, a signature pickup would be pretty sweet. Um, at the time, I really didn't have any single one pickup that I really put in all my guitars. It kind of really varied on the guitar. And... Uh, wanted to find something that could just put something in anything and it would sound awesome no matter what the wood was or anything like that. And uh, he said, let's give it a shot. And they, they'd already had made like some Strat pickups and some PATH style pickups and they were totally open to trying the high gain thing, but they were completely unfamiliar with the high gain side of things. They're very pre-1970s kind of tones and sounds, you know, very bluesy, very, very light rockish. And uh, so the metal thing was was new and exciting for them, and uh, it turned out great. They came out a year ago. Um, it, it's taken this long for people to actually like really start buying them, which is partially my fault because I guess I didn't pimp them hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> but it's turned out great. Cool. Do you have any other uh, signature stuff? Um, we are working on a signature overdrive that should be out in about a month or so, depending. Um, I'm cool. still waiting on the prototype, but uh, it's going to have a cool mid-range sweep knob kind of a thing on it. And I want it to look like an old, like if you if you bought it in the 1970s era, a Radio Shack or something. Okay. <laughs> and uh, cool. it, it'll be pretty cool. I'll. Uh, what sort of a design style is that? Is it going to be like a Tube Screamer or like a Klon or? Um, I think what he's doing, um, so this is uh, being designed by the guy... Um, a very, very small company um, in Tacoma, Washington called Cannonball Pedals. And I think it's going to be a tube screamer with a little bit of Klon or OCD kind of flavor, but still retain that mid-range of a, of a tube screamer, because I really like that mid-range. But also sweepable mids. Yes, and you can adjust where where the mid is being boosted. Nice. 
So, um, I, I can't believe more overdrives don't do that. The, uh, the one overdrive I do have that has that is what I kind of basically said, do what this pedal does. And that's a, uh, a Maxon ST9 Pro Plus. It's basically like the, uh, the turbo, not the turbo tube screamer, but the old tube screamer plus, I guess it was called back in the eighties. And, uh, really love that pedal. Cool. And that's one of the things that makes each type of tube screamer just slightly different. It's that mid bump yeah. or maybe where the low roll off is. Yeah. They, uh, they definitely are different. I mean, a lot of folks are, you know, quick to say, oh, that's just the same damn thing. And it's, it's, it's really not. And we know that, but, uh, it's a feel thing too. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to demonstrate that stuff. Yeah, ex exactly. That's, that's very challenging when, uh, I, I, in the past I've had people like, Oh, can you demo this overdrive pedal? I'm like, well, I, I think it sounds different and it feels different, but how am I supposed to convey that through a YouTube video? Yeah. You, you, you always have to like a B and one of them has to be worse. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you have to choose something that would make this new product sound better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, you don't want to say anything bad. You don't want to do it. accept something for a review and then have it be bad. No, no, you don't. But yeah, at the same time, it's like, well, you have to prove, you know, one way or another. You just can't be like, well, there it is. And that's, you know, there has to be some kind of point. Do they just send you guitars to review? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, sometimes you get to keep them. Like, I, I think I get to keep the Washburn Parallax <laughs> guitar. <laughs> you think? I, I'm pretty ah, sure. Play it till they uh, ask for it back. I guess. Yeah the the, the whole the, the whole demo thing is it, it's so loosey goosey and handshake in a back alley kind of a thing. Um, it's it's so there's no regular standard. It's so unofficial. Like with the Washburn guys, um, I've been talking to them via their Facebook page. I don't even know the guy's name. Um, <laughs> I looked on the, on the label, and I guess his name is John. Apparently. Um, but I talked to them right after Nam, and I gave them my address, and I said, "Hey, if you guys ever want to send me anything to check out, you know, I'd, I'd love to do something with Parallax. I get questions all the time." And, uh, and they said, "Cool, cool, man. Um, we'll we'll keep you posted." And what is it? Three months later, or two months later, it's uh, a guitar shows up at my doorstep, and I had no idea it was coming. That's really awesome, and and a lot of stuff at Nam and those trade shows. You talk to them, you you think you have a good conversation, and. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll talk after Nam, and then nothing happens. You got to follow up the next year. Yes, yes, or, exactly. You know, or or keep bugging them. And I do some review stuff, mostly software, because it's just the easiest to uh, to receive and yeah, to yeah. demo. And and usually you get it for free, and you get to keep it. You, yeah, you can't sell it. You're not allowed to sell it, basically. Yeah, yeah. But I, I've done some hardware as well, and it's uh, half the time. You have to send it back, and half the time you get to keep it. Or they'll give you a discount or something yeah. like that. Yeah. It's hard to complain about any of that stuff because you get to try this this gear before anyone else. or True. Or it's stuff that you wouldn't normally purchase. It's a treat. It is. Really. It, and yeah. it's, it's not a difficult job. No, no. So it's really it's, nothing to complain about. It's there. a blast. Like, you know, doing all this stuff is just, it's so awesome, and it's it's crazy in this kind of world that we live in now. This this kind of thing would have never been possible back in, in the 80s or something like that. Yeah. Not only can you make some money, you can make good money yeah. just making YouTube videos, just talking to people, making yeah. a connection out of your home studio. Yeah, that's so, unbelievable. Educating people and, and collaborating. and yeah. It's really awesome. Totally agree. How many guitars do you own right now? Oh, man. Um... 
Oh, wow. Uh, I thought it was, I was just telling the wife yesterday, but I thought it was less than 10. Uh, it appears to be 14. <laughs> All right. Which one would you save if your house was burning down? Oh, um, that would be my 77 Gibson RD uh, for sure. I just got it about a month ago. And it's amazing. I love that guitar. It's a Craigslist find, and I've wanted one since I was a, a kid. Um, Chris Novoselic in, uh, in Nirvana used to play the bass version. And uh, I saw the Foo Fighters in 97 at a real small club here in Seattle. And uh, um, I was unaware at that time. I started playing about 93, 94. And uh, I saw the Foo Fighters in 97. I was 17 years old, and I was unaware that they ever made a guitar version of of the RD and he had a, a sunburst one. I was like, Oh my God, I have to have that, you know, one day. It's like the weirdest body shape. It is. And I it, love it looks that. melted. I love that. Um, and they only made 2,800 of them ever in the, in the seventies. And, uh, one popped up on Craigslist. I was asked this question on my ask.fm thing. Uh, what's your dream cutter? And I said, it's a Gibson RD. Uh, never seen one in person. And I, not even kidding, the next day one pops up on Craigslist and someone sent me a link saying, hey man, one of those guitars you were just talking about uh, popped up near you um, nice. on Craigslist. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> I have to buy that. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Seven strings, eight strings, and beyond. What's your take on this? I played seven string briefly um, on the YouTube video thing. And looking back now, I think it was just to try to keep up with what was going on at the time, the uh, the marrow, the marrow and the Ola thing. Yeah. And well, they moved on to eight strings. So that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, you know, and then, and then the eight string got really prevalent and now people are starting to do the nine string things. It's, it's getting ridiculous. And, um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, what do you care what we play? And, um, you know, Obviously, anyone can play what they want to play. I think if you're going to use the seven and eight strings to just chug on the low string only, um, you're kind of missing the point of the instrument, um, which I think is, you know, like a piano. Like, obviously, you're not using the entire range all the time. That's about options. But uh, if you're only going to use one option, just be honest with yourself and just go back to a six string and just detune it. Um, it seems to be more of a status thing these days. I don't know. It seems like a like a flash kind of a thing. I saw I saw a band last night open up for uh, Tesseract and uh, Cloud Kicker, and the guy was using an eight string, and I think he went above the fifth fret once or twice. <laughs> it was, was like why? So <laughs> I don't know. I think they're kind of uncomfortable to play myself. The seven string I can I can get around on okay. Um, the eight string just seems like it's you know the neck is a mile wide. And I just I guess I'm just old school that way. I just it feels like driving someone else's car is what it feels like. Wide, and usually it's a, a thin neck, right? Yeah, Just it's very, thin. very thin. Yeah, awkward. It really is. flat. Yeah, yeah, it's playing a two-by-four. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so you make demo videos. Take us through your process. Um, every video starts with writing the song. Um, that is the most time-consuming part because I never want to... If you rush that, that pretty much sets the tone for the for the actual filming, and um, it doesn't give out a good vibe if you rush the song. Do you try to write a new song for every video? I do try, and um, and that was the challenge going into it originally. You know, the time frame for reusing a song for me is about six months. If if I haven't 
used it in six months, I'll, I'll go ahead and either rework or to do a different tuning. But uh, typically, um, I have to be creative. You know, I have to kick out a song about once a week. That's just kind of something I put on myself, I guess. But typically, uh, so it starts with a song. I'll usually um, bring up Logic, and I'll, uh, I'll usually have a riff idea, and then I'll program the drums to it on my laptop at work or something like that. And, uh, and then once that's finalized, the process moves pretty quickly. When I'm filming, what you're watching me do is either sometimes track it live. Most of the time, what you're watching me do is uh, track the DIs. And then after I'm done filming, I reamp the DIs later um, and settle on the guitar tones because uh, back when I started this, I used to try to get a good tone, play well, and work the cameras all at the same time. And it's just a nightmare to do. And you can't be creative in that kind of environment um, when you're a one-man show. And So you just blast it out of the monitors? Yeah, pretty much. It. Yeah. What are you monitoring through for that? You, I guess you're using your Kemper, probably. Right? Yes, uh, I, I use the Kemper with the DI out, and I just record it. I record the DI from the output of the Kemper, and uh, um, and then the wet of the Kemper is just coming through my monitors, and uh, and that's what I'm hearing when I'm playing. Cool. So the actual um, filming portion, how long does that take? You know that that goes pretty quickly, actually. That's the actual filming is maybe. I don't know, for an average of a three, two to three minute song, four minute playthrough and three minutes of talking, you know, I, I could bang that whole thing out 20 minutes or so. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, 20, 30 minutes. I've got it down pretty good to a science now. Um, a lot of guys will try to tell you it takes hours and days and weeks to do one of these videos, but that's just uh, working out the kinks and the efficiencies of the process, I guess. Right. So like when you're doing the DIs, you just move the camera for each take and then you can get different angles and sometimes you overlay them, sometimes you split screen and stuff like that. Yeah. That really helps keep things interesting. Yeah, and with instrumental music, you, I mean, you have to, It's that's always the challenge too because since there's no vocals most of the time, it's, you know, you got to change it up every every eight bars or more and uh it goes even faster now because now I have uh, two cameras. And so now I can shoot one angle and another angle simultaneously. So then basically I'm setting up a shot twice and that's it. And then, and then you're done. Awesome. It's awesome. What are you doing your editing in? Uh, Final Cut Pro X. Cool. Got a couple quick questions. Best bang for buck, tube amp for hard rock and metal? I think a used 6505, a PV6505. It's just can't be beat. Something about that amp is just uh, so classic, and it's extremely roadworthy, and they could be had for five, six hundred bucks. Sweet. Anything new over the past couple of years that you'd recommend? Bang for the buck metal amp. You know, I really like the uh, the Jim Root Orange, the lunchbox the dark, guy. The, the Dark Terror? No, it wasn't. It? The, it, well, it, was, it was based on the Rocker Verb. Um, it was just the Jim Root number four amp. It was similar to the Dark Terror, but it was the Instead of the Thunder Verb, it used the preamp out of the Rocker Verb. That amp was unbelievably good and extremely loud and could easily handle a loud band practice. And that was only like 15 watts or 30 watts or something like that. What do those go for? Those are like $600, $400, cool. something like that. For the big boys, huge bang for the buck. You know, it, it is expensive, but uh, uh, the EVH5150 is just a, an incredible amp. Um, I really want one. 
are all the different versions of the 5150 and the 6505 and all those similar amps, that, how different are they? Well, the EVH 5150 uh, is pretty different it's fairly different the uh the 5150 and the 6505 are absolutely identical um so you'll see these guys saying oh these block letters are uh i have a you know an original block letter well the only reason why the block letters ever sounded um any different from the later versions is because at the time um they were the very earliest models made and pv had a small stash of the svetlana new old stock power tubes and that's what they shipped with originally and they did sound better um, just because of the the higher quality tubes, but you know, twenty years later, that's not going to matter after they've long been replaced. So there's this. It's yeah. funny that this lure of uh, the style of font on the front dictates that it sounds better. And uh, I've A/B'd all of them. I, I've owned all of them at the same time, and they don't sound any different. Best virtual amp in the box. Oh man, you got some great tones out of Amplitude in that uh, that demo. I downloaded your presets and. I tried to tweak your preset and it made it worse. So, <laughs> so uh, good for you. Man. Um, thanks. I uh, the, the the TSE X50. Um, the, the TSE just came out with a uh, a fifty one fifty sim that you can actually load speaker impulses into the actual plugin, which is pretty brilliant. And it goes for like thirty bucks. I think that's one of the best amp sims and the soldano slo 100 um in amplitude is absolutely brilliant double tracking or quad tracking you know i tried to go quad tracking um my buddy aaron at uh envisage swears by quad tracking i think you lose too much definition with quad tracking no matter how tight uh, I, i'm not the, the the tightest player in the world um but but i can get things pretty dialed in and um, I think if the one, if I had to do the five breather EP over again, I would have not quad tracked, uh, and I would have double tracked just for clarity and multi mic'd and kept the multi miking um, because that's where you can gain a lot of thickness um, if you don't want to quad track. Do you change the way you mic things or the amount of gain you apply at the amp if you're double tracking or quad tracking? Yeah, um, with with quad tracking, you're going to have a stack up of frequencies, especially build up in the low end. And so if I know I'm going to quad track, I will dial in not a lot, a surprisingly little amount of low end on the amp on their own. The individual guitar tracks would, you would probably think they sound pretty thin, but once you stack everything up, it sounds pretty thick. And if you're going to double track, you can obviously add those frequencies back in. It would sound more closely to how you would think a, an isolated guitar track would sound in the room. Cool. How do you deal with the difference between um, what works in the room and what works in the mix? Or what sounds good in the, in the room doesn't always work in the mix? Uh, that's a good question. Say I'm going to use you know, a, an amp and a speaker cabinet, and I have an idea of what mic I want to use. Um, I will dial in kind of a rough tone in the room, in the studio, and then I will wheel the cabinet actually across the hall to my daughter's room is where I actually mic all the guitar cabinets because she has this uh, uh, she has this corner of a room that has a bunch of uh, laundry and stuffed animals and it actually sounds great if you point a cabinet into it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds great. And I'll dial up a loop on the DAW and I'll have the drums going and uh, no bass guitar and I'll uh, pipe out the reamps. There's the loop of a reamp and uh, and everything going through the monitors. And I'll, I'll dial to that. 
because at that point it doesn't really matter what it sounds like in the room since it's not in your in the same room anymore yeah so it completely changes everything too and um really knowing your mics and, and what they do and how they sound really really helps and goes a long way um I encourage anybody to really learn their mics. I read something on a forum yesterday talking about um, how most amp sims, they sound terrible or, or whatever. And someone pointed out that they're meant to sound good in a mix and they're not supposed to sound like an amp in a room. And when you're playing along with it, you don't get that amp in a room feeling most of the time out of amp sims. But a lot of times they do work in the mix. They might not be perfect, but yeah. the tone seems to be more tailored for working in the mix. They do. I thought that was kind of interesting. That is interesting. Um, and I think that's pretty true. Um, I, I don't know why. I guess they want to, you know, obviously they want, like Amplitude wants wants to appeal to um, even the guys that are recording and stuff like that because they assume everyone's recording or something. I'm not sure. But uh, you would think they would have modes or something um, on the actual plugins. Like, you, you know, you're going to switch to solo mode or just I'm not going to record in a mixed mode. And that would cut the fizziness and fill up the low end and then you could switch it back over to a, you know recording mix mode or something like that and that is pretty interesting hmm. i haven't really thought about that that is that is true i'll agree with that yeah like when i'm using a sim i'm i've usually got it just it's single tracked because i'm just sure. auditioning it right and and i dial in something that sounds big like what i want and then i got to trim it back so far to get it to actually fit in the mix yeah yeah and that's always just frustrating like how do you plan ahead for that and like and i think that's one of the reasons why i liked your amplitude preset it's big but it's not you're you're not using as much as the power amp section and and stuff like that so where i think that i'm going the right way in in programming the tone you've done quite a bit different and done much better. Like, yeah, just different approach to it. And it's worked better, which cool. is, yeah. Uh, I'm glad it worked out for you. Are there any other virtual amps that you use? I started out on Pod Farm. A lot of great tones. Um, when I'm tracking, I use um, TuneTracks Easy Mix amps. Oh, cool. And um, they sound unbelievably good. And they use such little CPU power. Not that I'm... I'm never in danger of running out of CPU power. I just got a new, a new computer for for that kind of stuff for video work, and um, they sound so damn good. I always feel like I I should probably use Amplitude or, or a bigger program like that, but uh, the simple presets that TuneTrack has are just amazing for listening to DIs and things like that. Favorite or essential guitar recording accessory? Guitar recording accessory. I'm thinking either pedal or something you put on the guitar or something you put in line or... You know what? I'm actually going to go super simple and um, and say the, the Jimmy Clip. And I don't know if you've seen, seen me use the Jimmy Clip. I have. Um, it's like a hair clip. It kind of looks like a hair, a hair clip and it, um, it has foam on the underside. And um, Jim Robbins used to be the the Schechter artist rep um, and that's how I got with Schechter which I'm not even sure if I'm with them anymore I don't think I am but um, <laughs> like I said loosey goosey handshakey kind of stuff I don't know and he said hey I got this thing to try out and I th I think it's pretty cool and I'm like that's not even a real problem and um, but he saw me using tape because sometimes it was a problem on some of my guitars and uh, I can't record without without them well, explain it because if if someone hasn't seen it they're not gonna understand what you're talking about. 
I know what you're talking about. So, so, but. so without the Jimmy clip, when you're playing, and if you do sudden stops or anything staccato or anything like that, you will hear a ring. Um, and sometimes that is behind the bridge if you have like a Gibson tunematic style, or most of the time it's behind the nut, and you get the same effect by strumming the strings behind the nut and making weird ghost sounds and stuff like that. And those will show up in your recordings um, when you're doing high gain stuff and even clean stuff a lot of the times. And if you want to really tighten up your sound and really have that, the, the sound stop without artificially chopping it off in the recording software, these Jimmy clips are much better or are a much better option than tape or foam sitting underneath your nut. And um, I used to wonder when I was a kid why all these guys had foam behind their Floyd Rose nuts, and I never understood what that was for. And fast forward 20 years later, I'm like, oh, that's what they were doing. So Yeah. Yeah, like on my, uh, my acoustic guitar does it really bad, actually. Does it? The ringing. Yeah. yeah. It's distracting, I find. It, it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're, you're doing DIs and stuff. That's like all you can hear in the room. <laughs> I know, and once you, once you hear it, it never goes away because I've had some people go, I don't hear anything, and then I'll 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 get it. I'll get the car to do it, and then I go, Oh man! <laughs> so if you have a uh, like a Les Paul style guitar, um, you put one on the strings at the bridge and one past the nut. Yeah, and that really really tightens it up. Yeah, it just completely kills any excessive ring. Um, Who's the guy that uh, from Megadeth that uh, endorses these along with me? Um, not Chris Brody, but he, the original guitarist from Megadeth calls them artifacts, sonic artifacts. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way to think about that. So you you need that? Yeah. It's. Uh, do you have one? I don't have one. I, I was just looking at them. Uh, I think it was last night or the night before. I saw your your video, and I I had noticed them on almost all the guitars when you're demoing. Yeah, I get so and many questions about them. <laughs> if it didn't have the the name Jimmy, if it didn't say Jimmy on it, yeah, then uh, I don't think anyone would even notice it. But it, it catches your eye, and it, it's a cool product. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really good. Um, Jim currently is the uh, the artist rep for Bogner, so he's kind of busy doing doing that kind of stuff at the moment. But he still sells he still sells his Jimmy Jimmy clips off his website, and uh, I think he sells quite a few of them. Guitar face. You know what I mean, right? <laughs> oh, man. I've, I've seen a lot of your videos, and you've I mean, you've lived through the recording and video editing. I, you probably have stopped and laughed at your face a few times. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's... Not everyone there's, does guitar face. I, not like me, man. Not like me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. It's funny. Even... The, the worst it gets is when I'm consciously trying not to do it for some yeah. reason. If I don't think about it, it, it tends to be not that bad. But if I'm thinking about it while I'm playing, it just, oh yeah, my mouth is just flopping open and I, it just, oh, it looks so bad. Um, <laughs> I even had a guitar face on, I, I do these FAQ Monday where I answer frequently asked questions and uh, Ola um, <laughs> took a screenshot. He said he paused the video, and <laughs> this this facial expression looks like I'm doing the Napoleon Dynamite. The uh, uh, <laughs> and he posted it on my Facebook. Like I can hear the solo now, man. <laughs> I'm so bad at those. 
I just, yeah. As, some people do like a pouting thing. Yeah. Some some do the open mouth. It's, yeah. oh, it's I just can't. Yeah. You can't stop it. Everyone no. does it. No, you can't. And there's got to be some kind of a, a t-shirt series that I should do of just like the the mouth. Uh, I don't know. It, but th- but that really <laughs> that really uh, dances on the line of like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> kind of a <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> John Mayer has a good one as well. Oh like, yeah, like when he's doing solos, it's it's <laughs> it's like he's getting like punched in the dick. <laughs> Dude, you're so right. I never even thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. Um, I have to work on that. <laughs> okay, I think the last question I have is: um, you started it with Reaper, and now you're using Logic X. Yeah. What was the appeal of Logic, or what was unprofessional about Reaper? Well, a, a lot of the times with Reaper, when I was trying to learn how to do something, you were at the mercy at the time. This is like two years ago. You were at the mercy of the form. If I had a specific problem, I can't remember what it was, but um, oh, I was trying to, when I originally tried to reamp, I had a regular, I had the UX2, the Line 6 UX2, and that has two outputs, and they're both for monitors. And I could not figure out, well, there must be some way to reamp. And um, it was only months later where I finally got an answer saying, oh, you got to go into the, uh, the routing matrix and route everything over to one side and then use the other output to get your DI out of the interface. And, you know, wh- why did that take me months to find out? Because there was no master wiki for something like that. And there was no, you know, it's all kind of loosey-goosey. And that really frustrated me. And some of the other standard things of of workflow, like using your right click to select stuff instead of your left click and and stuff like that. And I know you can customize all that stuff, but if I would go over to a buddy's house, his setup would be totally customized for him. And so then you'd have to relearn everything all over again. Um, my buddy Nick from Unearth still uses Reaper, even though I bought him Logic. <laughs> I just broke down and bought it for him, and he he still doesn't use it. And, uh, and Logic is a standard DAW, and I figured if I ever wanted to get serious and run one of the quote-unquote standard DAWs, Pro Tools, Logic... Cubase, um, that would be my key. And my buddy Jason ran Logic, and I mixed uh, my last record, Save for All Things, on it, and I just really, really enjoyed the workflow, and it made a lot of sense to me. And uh, I knew I didn't want to go to Pro Tools because Pro Tools is awful and horrible MIDI integration, um, amongst other things. And Reaper is still fantastic. I still get, I, I, I'm still constantly getting questions about Reaper and trying to help people, even though I'm, I'm a little outdated now. Reaper is still fantastic, and I can't believe they it's so cheap. Yeah. Yeah, I, I switched from Pro Tools to Reaper in 2010, officially. Um, and I haven't needed Pro Tools at all. When I go to another studio, I, I just bring Reaper with me. I'll run it off my laptop if I have to. Yeah. Um, and I save my configuration to Dropbox, so I can get it anywhere. Oh, that's that's a good idea. Just pull it down from wherever you happen to may maybe if you have a hard drive go out or something like that or yeah, absolutely everything. So I can you know go to an, a new computer, hit import configuration, just check all the boxes, and it it's just like my own computer except different plugin set, probably. Right, right, so yeah, okay. It, it's very difficult to import 
plugins from one computer to another. That's I know what's huge hassle. Oh, I hate that with the wave stuff, and because the wave stuff is so damn good, but I can only use it on one. So I don't yeah. know. Um, I always thought it the saying was true: if if they charge several hundred dollars for Reaper, it would suddenly be a legitimate DAW. Well, you can you can send them more money. They'll they'll take it. Uh, oh yeah. The the full commercial license is two hundred twenty five dollars, but you don't get any other features. In fact, you don't get any f- different features from the demo. Right. Basically, the trial is the same as as if you send them two hundred twenty five dollars. Yeah. Um, the license is basically for however much money you're going to make from it. Right. So the, right. So I think if you make less than twenty thousand dollars or something like that, you can use the non commercial sixty dollar license. Oh, so, gotcha. Yeah, and then above that, you use the more expensive license that gives you uh, free upgrades for. Like the next version or something like that, or yeah. So, um, so it would get you up to like four point seven or five point seven, um, which which is like two years away. Are they uh, are they on four now? They are on four point six point one one. I run the Reaper blog, Reaper blog. Oh, you do. Yeah. Oh. So, I'm trying to get tutorials and stuff. In fact. Reamping was a video I published today, like oh, brilliant! Like a uh, half hour ago, oh. <laughs> <laughs> went live. <laughs> well, good. I'll point so, people to that then. Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. I I love Reaper, and I know it's. I mean, it, it's not the best at everything. Um, you have to put in some effort in learning it and customizing mm-hmm. it. Um, logic never made sense to me. I could. I tried several times different versions i cannot figure it out logic 7 uh 8 9 i haven't tried 10 yet but i don't think it's radically different um yeah and and yeah the DAW is such a a personal thing i I get questions all the time of which DAW should i choose and i always tell them these days it doesn't really matter it's what is most comfortable for you and what the important part is is you stick with it and learn everything not just expect to know it instantly when you've never learned it before I think the two best DAWs right now are Reaper and Studio One. Studio One's pretty good. I found that I, I found that really confusing. Personas. I was I used to be endorsed with Personas, and uh, they tried to get me to to switch over to it. And I just it's good. I like it, but I just couldn't get the workflow to jive with what I was doing or used to doing. Um, yeah. If I had to, if I couldn't use Logic, I would go back to Reaper. I think those are the two. I think those are the two best DAWs. Are you using a lot of the built-in instruments and effects? Um, in no. <laughs> that's like the the main appeal for a lot of people, just those built-in instruments and effects. Are, they're very good. They are very good. But if good. you don't use them, then it's... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, although the bass amp modeling is very, very good. Um, the guitar ones are just terrible. Um, yeah. I, I thought it was interesting. I chuckled a little bit when Logic 10 came out, and they now introduced track stacks. Which is hilarious because Reaper was the first one I ever saw to have have that where you can have the parent the parent track, and you basically are using that as a bus. Yeah. Um, you can now do that in Logic, um, but but you can collapse them, which is at the time you know when I was last using Reaper that you could not do that. So you basically put everything into a subtrack, and then you can there's a little carrot to collapse and open up all of those DIs, so you can just pretty much collapse all your DIs that you're no longer using into one single track, so it's visually not taking up any more room. 
that was the other thing I, I didn't like about Reaper is uh, you have all these open, empty tracks. If you have like you're running MIDI instruments at that time, anyway, um, you can yeah. you couldn't collapse them. Yep. Uh, there's really nothing right now that I'm missing in Reaper. So they've they've gone a long way in the past year and a half or so. What's missing? Like nice graphics on the plugins or mm, you know, yeah. included virtual instruments, sample libraries, um, all that stuff that's kind of oh, different from their original concept. Yeah. Like keeping it really light, um, fast, um, low CPU, uh, all that kind of stuff. I have Reaper to thank for a lot of my my mixing skills. Actually, um, this is gonna um, this is gonna sound so turnip trucky, but uh, when I started out, I was not aware that there was a such thing as third party plugins. As ridiculous as that sounds, I was completely unaware. I'd never heard of Waves. I'd never heard of anything until I met my buddy Jason two years ago. Um, but for so for a year and a half, um, I was only using stock Reaper plugins. And that's where I learned how to use compression. That's where I learned how to use reverb and sends and how to make them sound good because I didn't think there was any other choice. So I didn't have the option of going, oh, well, I'll just buy this plugin to, to you know, do whatever. I won't buy, use this fancy reverb or something like that. You know, I thought that was what the program you bought is what came with it. And that was it. <laughs> as naive as that sounds. Yeah, I'm still using a ton of the the Reaper built-in pl plugins, like the EQ and the compression. They are the damn gate. good. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with them at all. No. And um, super flexible. Like They can sound like any of the other stuff. But, I mean, I've got another 35 or so compressors yeah. from other companies. They're just different, different workflow. Yeah, exactly. As well. I really miss the multipressor that uh, Reaper has. I really like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, that one is... Is pretty nice. I think that's all my questions. We've cool. gone on and off topic multiple times. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Once again, this is Ryan Bruce, a.k.a. Fluff. You can find him on YouTube, youtube.com slash fluff191 and blackmetalbicycles.com. Yeah, check out his, his videos demoing tons of guitars and amps and pedals and He's doing great stuff for our, the recording community, making the stuff simple for us and uh, getting great sounds out of minimal gear in the home studio and playing around with stuff that, that make us drool. So <laughs> check them out. Thanks, Thanks again. Thank you to everyone who comments and participates in the show. Thank you so much to everyone who has donated. Thanks to John for all the long hours of editing our show. There's plenty more where that came from. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening. The guys will be back next week. Please go to homerecordingshow.com and leave your comments.